people that we're just absolutely amazed by. Um, and so first of all, actually, before we kind of go into this next segment of things, we just want to acknowledge uh, for all of the people that are ushering today, we're amazed by our ushers. Uh, let's have everybody. Grace is ushering. Sarah is ushering. All of the people that are ushering, go ahead and stand up and wave your hand. Give a cheer to everybody that's ushering. Is Caitlin ushering? Who's ushering over? Yay! They're all sitting together right now. <laughs> um, but with that... It's like I'm, a family affair. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, so at first service, actually, we were able to acknowledge and give gifts to um, Miriam and Jamin, who are here every single yes. Sunday. Put your hands together. Put your hands together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because there's just such an exhaustive list, we've decided we really have to take time once a month to be able to like acknowledge and just thank the people. Um, for all of us that are attending here, there's a team of people that every single Sunday they set up, they break down, but they're ushering, they're doing info tables, they're serving on worship team. It takes a large number of people. And so it would not happen without people who faithfully serve and faithfully give. And so um, in this service, we wanted to take time we get to celebrate two more individuals that have contributed uh, much to set up and break down worship, the whole thing, really. We uh, want to acknowledge Brian Comier and my man, Janata. Janata, come on up. Janata and Brian, come on up. Put your hands together, y'all. Put your hands together, yes. Can I get some love? Well, we'd like to present... Yes, yes. Now we're all, yeah, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Let's say, that's right, absolutely. <laughs> now, let me just give a little charge here. You know, we're all excited for them, but I want to encourage you to do likewise. <laughs> follow them as they follow Jesus so that we can celebrate you also. Guys, here's a $50 gift certificate, gift certificate to Amazon. Enjoy. And um, thank you so much, guys. Thank you so much. Put your hands together one more time. Well, if you were here last Sunday, you would know that we are transitioning out of um, uh, The Promise, The Church, and The Men Who Turn the World Upside Down series to a series on relationships. Okay, yep, you can... You can insert a clap right there if you want. It's okay. We, we love claps. It all just lets us know that you're alive. Sometimes we want to know just that everything's okay in your seats. But if you clap, that helps us. Um, so we're going to get right into it, okay? Let, let me start off by saying that this is not any type or particular type of relationships that we're addressing. We want to hit the broad spectrum of things. Like, you know, if you're married today, this is for you. If you're single, ready to mingle, this is ready for you. <laughs> You know, if you're wanting a husband or you're wanting a wife but yet don't have one, this is for you. This is for us all. And dare I say that this is also for just that non-romantic type who wants to just love and have meaningful relationships with their friends in church. As it is... Yeah, yeah. Somebody's excited over there. Thank you, Omar. Omar's alive. Omar's alive. So let's get right into it. First John 4, 7. If you have your Bible, turn it open to First John Chapter 4, verse 7, one verse, and if you don't have your Bible, we'll pray for you later. Um, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Um, but it's going to be up here on the screen to help you out if you don't have it. Uh, 1 John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another. 
That sounds pretty good, right? We're off to a great start. For, the, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Let me read that again. Let me just read that again. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from who or where? It's from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. It's, it's interesting, it's remarkable that our knowledge, our, our being born of God is directly connected to the way that we love one another. Mm. And I imagine that John is saying that um, it's not any type of being born, it's probably being born again, that regenerated life, you know, that Christ calls us into. But it's remarkable that, um, that these things are, are, are interestingly connected in John's mind when it comes to love. Now, I know this is a relationship on, I'm sorry, I know this is a series on relationships, sorry, but we feel it necessary to first tackle the big four-letter word, L-O-V-E. And I know that that may seem a little bit elementary, like, really, we're going to talk about love? Yeah, we're going to. The Bible talks a lot about love. You know, I know that First John is obviously, or honestly, talking about a love that is in regards to the way that we love one another, because in some chapters later in the same, um, some verses later in the same chapter, he says this in verse 20 of the same chapter. He says, if anyone says, I love God, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. So, in talking about relationships, I believe, again, that the place we should start that would be best, the most of uh, the best of our time in, uh, this morning as an introduction to this series is to talk first about love. There's a massive right, separation, a difference, a, a vast difference between the way the world you know, kind of paints this picture of love than that of the Bible, isn't there? I mean, if you're saved, you see it every day on television, you see it in the music, you see it everywhere, right? Can we nod our heads? Yes, I see that difference, right? I, I want to say that it is tremendously important that we can recognize as believers the difference between a worldly love and a Christ-like love. Because much like, you know, all things that sometimes creep into the church, similar to love, our view of love, a worldly view of love, can creep into the church also. That way, or that, the result of that really is us falling short of loving one another as Christ tells us to love one another. And again, I'm not talking about just a romantic love, but a non-romantic love too. Some of my friends here, you know, I want to love you in a meaningful Christ-like way. And and my prayer as a pastor is that you also can love one another in a Christ-like way that has nothing to do with boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, and wife love, but just a genuine connection with your brothers and sisters in Christ kind of love. Because it's so important. Listen, I mean, you think about this. One of the, the biggest kind of, um, I'm trying to find the right word, but, but, but a way that we can spread the gospel and actually advance the kingdom of God when it comes to the harvest is that a very, very broken world would see a very Christ-like church in the way, specifically, we love one another. I mean, you think about it. It's remarkable that that, that, that that could be the biggest testimony and the biggest kind of proliferation of the gospel is just in the way that the world sees, wow, 
there's something different about the way these guys love one another. Now, you may not think that is too nostalgic this morning, but I personally am a result of seeing a community, meaning my salvation, is the result of seeing a community of believers love like Christ loves. It wasn't that I walked in, I was broken, I, I, I had many problems, much sin, but I was so attracted by the way these guys honored, loved, and preferred one another. And so love is a strong force, right? And we possess uh, the ability to love and to be loved. So our first argument, I guess, this morning is that if we neglect to let God frame and construct our understanding of love, we risk the chance of letting that being, being, be constructed or framed by something else. Maybe today it could be Hollywood, it could be movies, it could be media, it could be pornography. I mean, the, 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 the list is endless, right? And so I think, again, and I think this is what you're going to hear mostly through our kind of presentation this morning, is that we are going to make much of love this morning. Well, like Daryl said, you can see the stark contrast between the way that the body of Christ is called to love and the way that the world or like culture would define and express love. But oftentimes, even within church culture, um, you can acknowledge that every single person in this room, that when I say the word love, there's a, a different and distinct sentiment that you hold regarding that. Like for some people, like if you think about love, you're like love, or like whether that's with a friend or a family member, love, true love means that we'd never get sick of each other. And then other people are kind of like, no, true love means you would give me more space. You know, like I would have my space. So, you know, it's a confident relationship. We can love each other and have lots of space. You know, Whoa. like it's, it, it's interesting, but... <laughs> Love it. It's interesting, but everybody really defines it, and it looks, it takes on very different expressions for people. You know, for some people, they actually think that a loving relationship means that you can have conflict, express conflict, and be totally comfortable in conflict, while other people think that as soon as conflict arises, this is not loving, and I can have nothing to do with you. We, we just, it, we all hold very, very different lenses. And that's why today when we look into the word of God, and ultimately we can't take any step further in discussing relationships unless we bring, because ultimately relationships are, they are the fruit of how we define and express love. So good. Your family relationships. <laughs> so good. It's your really family good. relationships, your friendships or lack thereof. <laughs> no, it's true. <laughs> I mean, many of you have friendships that you thought were going to be lifetime friendships that for one reason or another, you're not in friendship anymore. And really, when we look through the definition of love, we'll, we'll begin to understand why that is. But we can't begin to talk about friend, even relationships if we don't look at the issue of love and how we define love. And ultimately, we in this world, you, we cannot define love. There is one man who is God. God is love. He is love. And so, therefore, everything that is loving is inside of him. And if we're going to measure our love, we have to measure it against the standard of God and what he says. And so, regardless of what your perception may be or what feels good or looks good or works for me, if it doesn't fall within his boundary lines of love, it's it is so not good. love. So it's your humanistic, made-up, whatever. 
And so we want to bring it in alignment with the word of God. And for you to understand the importance of love, just so that none of us tune out or disregard ourselves or think that somehow we've graduated beyond this principle. Um, If you look at when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He quoted the Old Testament in Deuteronomy, and he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength. If you're here this morning and you're like, well, what is God speaking to me? I need a word. What's the prophetic like thing for 2018? Stop it. Love Stop the it. Lord your God yeah, come on. with all your heart, come on. with all your soul. Pursue that for all your days. Yeah. Is anybody here perfected in that? <laughs> And then he says, and the second greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. And you know what he says? Upon these two things hinge all the law. Wow. Huh. So like instead of all these little minor things that you're trying to go after and seek, if you'll seek to love him first and really wrestle through what it means to love the person sitting next to you. <laughs> and your roommate and your spouse and your parents and your sibling. Come on now. You get all the rest of the law. (laughs) Like you get it all if you pursue those two things. So really it is, it's not an elementary principle. It's the supreme principle. That's right. Come on now. And so for all of us, in order for us to have healthy relationships, we have to look at the biblical definition of love and we have to align our life with that standard. And so Jesus you know, said these are the greatest commandments. And, you know, I love because, I mean, we're going to look at the four Greek words for love. But Edwards basically reduced it all to this. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, he's one of my favorite um, revivalists, but also theologian. He, he said that you can define all of love in these two things. There's love of complacency and there's love of benevolence. So pretty much there's love that you have in your life that there's just things of beauty and things of loveliness and pleasantness that just invoke love. There's no challenge in that. You know, you just, you just, you love the ocean, you know. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> so cheesy. You, no, but no, seriously, I love no, the ocean. You, or to be honest with you, there's complacent love even in the context of relationship. Because when someone is utterly pleasing to you, when, whether that's physically, emotionally, or even intellectually, that, that's a love of... They, they have to do nothing, and you have to do nothing to labor for yes. that love to be a reality. Yes. But the love of benevolence is a completely different thing. It's, it's literally... The love of benevolence, the way that Edwards defined it, was that it's the, the act of our will. It's goodwill that's basically, and the distinction between them that he defined was the love of complacency is responding to beauty. We're just responding to it because it invokes love inside of us. But the love of benevolence is goodwill that brings about beauty. So it's our goodwill choosing to love even when something is unlovely. And because of that, it produces beauty. And so he defines love these two ways. And then we're going to just look at really quickly in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So, you know, we can talk about love and all of us can have, I, I used to have, I actually gave it to a friend, but I used to have a plaque on my wall that says love deeply. You know, we're all kind of like into like quotes and sayings that are so like, we romanticize things. Yes, love deeply. Yeah, love deeply until it hurts, you know, and then run from it. But, you know, we can all kind of in this place, like we, we value the sentiment of love. But what we actually find, instead of it kind of being a far-off 
mysterious reality, like what is love and how is it defined? Paul actually says in uh, 2 Corinthians 8.8, 8, he actually says that he saw within these believers, he saw within them the, the test of the sincerity of love. He basically says the sincerity of love was tested, and, and he actually, well, in some translations, it's called genuine love or sincere love. But he professes basically, look to this group of people, and this is where you find sincere love. This is where you find genuine love. And um, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God on the church of Macedonia. First of all, I just want, to, I, I want you to pause. The grace of God. The grace of God bestowed. They're identifying it's something that comes from God and is not of your own goodwill. It's not of your own human ability. It's, it's relying upon the grace of God and the grace of God manifested. Verse 2, that in great trial of affliction, an abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality or generosity. Basically, what he's saying was that there was great generosity that was found amongst them. There was the giving to one another, giving to one another liberally and freely and generously. But ultimately, it's not coming out of a place of abundance. It's not coming out of a place so that good. God just... See, it's very easy for us to That's love right. Right. when God is providing supernaturally. Right. It's on. very easy for us to so even good. give when we feel like we have abundance. But this giving that you find in the church of uh, Macedonia, it was not because there was somehow God was providing supernaturally and they were experiencing all the resource and the abundance of heaven. There was place of lack. There, it uses the word affliction. And that in this place of need, they were found with joy and giving liberally. Ultimately, what you can find is that our love, when we find our joy in God, when our, when our joy is truly rooted and grounded and he is the fountain of our life and our joy, we are then still able to give. We, we do not withhold and we're not in a place of begrudging those things, but we can give liberally. So then you find... Um, in verse 3, it says, For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring with us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministry of the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urge Titus that as he had begun so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith and in speech and in knowledge and in all diligence and in your, in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by the commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love for the, dilig for the diligence of others. He's talking about this is the test of the sincerity of our love that it's not in the place of abundance and it's not when we give out of the abundance of what we've already received. But it's when in the very places where there's lack, can we draw on the resources of heaven? And is God our source that then we can even give in that place? And we're gonna, when we look through the four Greek words about love, we'll begin to understand that human love basically only gives after it's received. It's contingent, it's conditional. But agape love, the, the supernatural love that we've been called to, is the place that even when there is no response and even when there is no receiving, we are able to give because we are giving from the resource of heaven. 
We are giving because we've received beyond human compulsion and ability and resource. We've received something so divine and so supernatural that it's limitless. So we can forever draw upon that. Amen. What is love? Uh, sorry, what is it? You know, stop it, stop it, stop it. Knock, knock it off, knock it off. All right, all right, all right. Got to get everybody moving. It's awesome. You, know, you guys should repent after knowing what that song is. You all should just, just saying. I don't know what that song is. You know, is. The, the, the college pastor, there's something wrong with this church. No. But, but let's look at what actually hinges and what's at stake when we result to not being a community that can love deeply like Christ loved us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 through 3, we're all familiar with this verse, right? Paul writes this, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers... <laughs> And understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burnt, <laughs> charity and sacrifice, if he, if he does these things without love, his love gains him nothing. And so, right? I mean, that, that, is, that is some pretty weighty language Paul uses. And I feel as though us as a community needs to hear this because, you know, I am a person who believes much about prophecy and tongues and the power of God. And, and, and sometimes, much like the Corinthian church, you can lose sight of what's most important. Amen. And that's love. We can have all the gifts of the Spirit. We can move in prophecy and we can speak in tongues we can heal the sick and raise the dead but if those things are void of love it's we've gained nothing and we are nothing in short paul explains that the greatness of a man is the the measure of that greatness is not in his ability to have great powers the greatness of that the, that man is his capacity to love even his charity even the way he would give would come to nothing that's profound. Even if he sacrifices his body, if he has not love, he's gained nothing. The verse goes on in verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not um, irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. You can say amen for that. Amen. <laughs> that was weak, tough crowd. Verse 6, right? Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. We need to hear that this morning, guys, because we're probably going to have some tricky moments through this series. I'll be totally honest and upfront. I mean, we're not, I, I believe that if, if it doesn't get hard somewhere in this series and kind of like just challenging some really perverted, weird uh, thoughts about love, if we haven't done that by the end of the series, not that we're looking to, but if we haven't done that, I feel like we failed you. And that's exactly what Paul means when he says, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices 
with the truth. The Apostle Paul teaches us that love, joy, and truth are connected. In this passage, the word truth extends beyond spoken truth. The word Paul uses indicates a broad concept of truth, something like sincerity or moral truth. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, to kind of give us an example of his love for the Corinthian church, which ultimately drove him to say some pretty hard things to the Corinthian church. 2 Corinthians 2 Verse 4, out of much affliction and anguish of my heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not so that you would be made sorrowful, but that you might know the love in which I have, especially for you. In, In my opinion, this is one of the greatest examples of how love aims at truth. Paul is filled with love. He's compelled by love, and it leads him to say some pretty Hard things to the Corinthian church. But there in chapter 2, verse 4, 2 Corinthians, he bears his heart. He says, I've said these things because I love you. In other words, if I didn't say these things, I wouldn't have a love for you. It's because I love you. And so, I'm sure along the way, if you feel bothered or perhaps frustrated at times and maybe angry in this journey as we talk about relationships. I want you to open your heart and your mind to the thought that maybe Jesus is trying to help you, not offend you. (laughs) Because we, as Bethany said, have to draw and get our thoughts of love from the God of love, the God who is love. Not from the world. Um, so a book that's recommended, um, and it will go into much more detail than what we're going to cover right now, but um, C.S. Lewis has a book um, about the four loves. And so we're going to just like kind of highlight the four different uh, words for love, but they're also expressions of love or understandings of love that you can find in the Greek. And you have to realize that like our human language is extremely limited in the fact that we just have one word for love. So it's like, I love pizza. I love Daryl. <laughs> I love pizza. I love Jesus. Hmm. Like, you know, <laughs> I mean, all of those things, is, it, they're very different loves, and they, they invoke different things. They, st- they require different things. <laughs> all of those things. But um, so if we just look through them quickly, because we'll just come to the place that we understand the kind of love that God calls us to. Uh, phileo, uh, so C.S. Lewis, he, the way that he like reduces or defines the phileo love is a friendship love, two people linked arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder with a common vision and a common goal, partnership, two people pulling together toward a goal. Uh, but the, the Greek understanding of it is, is phileo love um, is a love that responds to kindness and appreciation. Um, it involves giving as well as receiving and, it, and when it is greatly strained, it can collapse in a crisis. Phileo is a higher love than eros because it is mostly focused on our happiness rather than my happiness. Um, Storgi is an affection that one might have for an old sweater or a slipper or an old dog. <laughs> um, so or my checkered red and black shirt that yes, I always wear. Precisely. Right? Come on, yeah. Precisely. Clap, laugh it up, boys. Laugh it up. 
deeply kinda, love that shirt. That's I have like way, five of them. It's great. I that's love That's kind of the way C.S. Lewis um, explains that. <laughs> but um, it's this love is based on one's own nature. Um, it's a natural affection or a natural obligation. Um, it is quiet, abiding. Um, it's a feeling within a man that rests on something close to him and that he feels good about. It's basically something that invokes good feelings inside of you. Um, eros is romantic love, which lovers hunger for one another. Uh, the Greek understanding of it is the basic idea of this love is self-gratification. Um, and most of you are like, wait, you just equated it to lovers and like sexual. But if you look at it a little bit further, though Eros is directed toward another, it actually has self in mind because the example is, I love you because you make me happy. So it's the fact that there's something of fulfillment that's happening for me here. And so you, I love you because of what you cause and the effect that you have in my life. Um, Whereas agape is, you know, what's interesting is because, like, as married couples, like, most of the times you might start at Eros <laughs> or start even at uh, Storgi, but through the process of remaining married, married, you work to the place of agape because, you know, ultimately there might be something, even in friendship, there might be something pleasant or desirable or pleasing that draws you to someone that you're like, oh, I'm going to be friends with this person. But then when you have opportunity for conflict and offense and misunderstanding and they don't meet your expectations and you disappoint them, <laughs> uh, all those things. It's awesome. <laughs> you know, that's, that's real. That's like, I'm just going to say, you don't really have a, a real friend if you haven't had opportunity to forgive Come on. them. Like, if you haven't had to forgive Church. them for something. I love it. I'm like, seriously? I, I do love it. Like, pre-marriage counseling, like, when couples are going to get married, when it's like, we love each other. <laughs> we love each other. I'm like, no, you haven't had an opportunity really yet to love. So you got to stick with that covenant, yeah. even when you may not feel it so much. But, you know, prior to it, you really feel it, don't you? Absolutely. I mean, that's what brings you to the altar. Like, you, no one would go to the altar and sign their life away if there wasn't something. But then you have that point of saying, I have made a commitment. This is really not about me. And this is ultimately what we're going to find with all of these loves. They're very much focused upon what purpose you serve in my life. Kind of stinky, right? But, <laughs> but agape is divine love that is characterized by sacrifice. So if the love that we have, you know, in our relationships is not characterized by sacrifice, it truly is not agape love. If there has not been an element that we've had to sacrifice, um, so it's characterized by sacrifice in pursuit of another person's good. Agape is called out of one's heart by the preciousness of the object love. It is a love of esteem and in, in high elevation. It has the idea of prizing. It is the noblest word for love in the Greek language. Agape is not kindled by a merit of worth, the worth of its object, but originates in its own God-given nature because God is love. So basically meaning that God is love. So therefore, we should have the ability of when God is residing in us to love someone that is doing nothing to invoke or to deserve our love. He gives us that ability. This love keeps, keeps on loving even when the loved one is unresponsive, unkind, unloving, and unworthy. It is unconditional. Agape desires only the good of the one loved. 
It is a consuming passion for the well-being of others. Most oftentimes, our hindrances in relationships, no matter what relationship it may be, platonic, romantic, the breakdown really comes when, you, when someone has not met your expectation or has disappointed you. When they're not doing it the way you think it should be done. That could be in how they relate to you or even their own performance in their life. Or, you know, that could relate, whether if it's our parents, it's like, this is how my mother should be. My mother should be this to me and behave this way. And if she's not, I'm offended and I'm hurt. Most of the time, our success in our relationships comes down to releasing the other person from expectations. So good. So good. Releasing people. that Be who you are and being able to love them where they are and where they're at. You know, I shared this example um, in the first service. Really, the shift, I had a very strained relationship with my father. He was a very hard man, just a verbally hard man. And um, had a very hard relationship with him. But I had come to a point after a salvation, I was like in the ninth grade, um, and I really felt like I was supposed to just serve him and just like give. So there was one specific summer that I saw a lot of contention and fighting between him and my brothers over like lawn mowing and stuff. So I was just like, I'm going to sow into this relationship. This is just what I'm going to do. Expecting nothing, <laughs> absolutely nothing. So that summer, I just like mowed the lawn whenever it had to be mowed. I took out the trash. Like any, any requests I heard that there was contention over, I would just step in and do it. And what ended up happening was at the end of the summer, my dad basically ended up writing me um, a card, which I'd never received a card from him before. And prior to that point, he had never told me that he loved me. And so in the card, it just, like, it said, like, thank you, you know, for all you've done. And he wrote, love you. And that was just, love you. And I remember when I read it, I was like, oh, you know, like, it, it just, like, but really it changed everything in our relationship. Because, you know, instead of me holding him to a standard of what he was supposed to be for me, and what he was not for me. And instead of the expectation being, I need love, I need protection, you're hurtful, your words are hurtful, I completely released him from all expectation. And just decided, I, I know God. <laughs> like, I had a relationship with Jesus. And so because of Jesus, I'm going to love my dad the way Jesus wants my dad to be loved. And you know the extraordinary thing is that when you release people like that, instead, God uses me to bring healing to my father, who now, you know, is my dad's one of my best friends, tender, tender soul, <laughs> still writes me cards, tells me how much he loves me. He, he outdoes me, outdoes me in every way, flowers, <laughs> cards, it's like, come on, the bar is set high, but we're grateful. But it, it, it all shifted. But can I ask you a question? What would have happened if I chose to have the focus completely on myself and my needs and what was owed me? That's so good. The expectation of what a father should be. All of those things. And that's the problem is most of us are, they're, they're not verbalized. Some of, to be honest with you, some of you, you, you can't even articulate it. Like you might have friendships and when someone does it wrong, they're out. But you don't even, even clearly understand what that boundary Skip. was that they crossed. It's just, mm, nope, I don't do that. I, I won't, no, I won't. That's not a, you know, whatever that may be. But ultimately, tr true love, in, for, in order for us to have relationships that are healthy and successful, it comes to the place of regardless of what, hey, I'm not abdicating for anybody here to be physically violated, punched, or verbally assaulted. Not at all. I'm talking about within the, if something's harmful, get out. Yeah. We, we're not, we're not um, advocating for abuse. 
But what I'm talking about is, and oftentimes, even women that are my age, I can't tell you how many Christian spirit-filled young women I know that have gone through the divorces, and it's not because there's biblical grounds for divorce. It comes down to my needs are not being met. And at the end of the day, our commitment to love had nothing to do with your needs being met. That's nowhere in the parameters or the boundary lines of scripture of what love is. Love ultimately comes down to you made a commitment to walk with someone else. And you professed love. And what we see from agape is, is that it's love when there's nothing in return. And you might be like, well, how's that possible? It's possible when we draw upon the grace of God. It's possible when you're drawing from a resource that is not of yourself. And this is why when it says they will know we are Christians by our love, it's because it's a supernatural love that the world cannot formulate or come up with. It's because it's a love that is so completely other than and completely uh, like stands alone that it's a testimony of who God is because he is love. He's seen when love is manifested amongst us. So good, so good. So, I mean... Even in Bethany's testimony, I think you see a great picture of even the gospel, right? I mean, in Christ, we see a man who loved us to the point of death, even when there was nothing that merited uh, that love, you know? And so uh, what I try to do when, I, when there's a deficiency of love in my heart is look to Christ. Um, because I, I understand that he loved me, he loved you, he loved believers and even the world in a way that is so different <laughs> than the world loves. And so just a quick exhortation there. And then, you know, also, how do we know that there's a deficiency of love in the church? Well, you know, the harvest is plentiful. And the church, one of the church's tool to reach that harvest is loving one another, is being a witness of love, Christ-like love for one another. And so one of the deficiencies, other than in Hilltop, we need you guys to marry one another. That's really our, our goal. And so just saying that, putting that out there, you know, ladies, you know, you know, I don't know, whatever. But, but one of the things that we see is that when Christ has given us such a tool to witness effectively to the world in the way that we love one another, there should be nothing stopping the force of the church. And so Getting back into 1 John 3.18, we want to charge you guys with a couple little, in closing, charge you guys with a couple little things that we would like to see us all do as a church. We did this with first service, but let me read 1 John, and then Bethany's going to give us those charges. 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, simple. Let little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Bethany, will you give us those charges? So... You know, so that we kind of move it out of sentiment and theory into a place of reality, we kind of want two action points for us as a community to kind of, you know, come to a greater reality of love in our lives. Um, and the first, oh, great. oh, they have it from first. This is awesome. Um, so the, from, uh, the first one is find one person who we can express love to who can give us nothing in return or expecting nothing in return, expecting nothing in return. So basically, let's be honest, most of the time your mental, emotional, and physical energy is spent in um, cultivating relationships that you can receive something in return. There's something that's gratifying. There's something you receive. Oftentimes, we're not necessarily focused on how can I express love to someone that's in need of love. 
like meaning looking beyond who is in need of love. So not necessarily someone that can give back to you or anything that could be reciprocated, but just a way to express love throughout this week to someone that can give nothing in return. And secondly, um, do something loving for a relationship that is broken. And I know for some of you, you're kind of like, ah, that's terrifying. Um, but really, I would just, I mean, some of, there, there may, may be many people in here that have multiple broken relationships, like kind of a, an array of them. But just, just pray and ask God. Just say, God, like, who, who is someone that I can express love to where there's been a fracture in our relationship, where there's been... Um, you can turn it off for now. They're getting the television ready for Beyond Sunday. Oh, I was like, it's a light show. Yes, yeah. yeah, so it's a light uh, show. <laughs> Um, and I, I also, I do want to give this point of instruction for the second one is that in doing something loving for where there's been a broken relationship, um, the way not to do that, um, <laughs> cause there is a way not to do that. Um, I gave the example in first service, my mother, we were a part of a church for 20 years. Let me just say being in a church for 20 years, Test you, love. you yeah. know, you, you Absolutely. learn how Come to on. do good relationships. That's right. That's right. <laughs> cause I was with almost the same people for 20 years. Um, but there was this one woman that really struggled with bitterness. And you could just see it. And like, you know, <laughs> like it just, yeah. Um, <laughs> so I, I'll never forget, I was a teenager and she like, which throughout the course of my life, I saw it multiple times with this one person. But she would come up to my mother with her teeth kind of gritted and she would have her home-baked cookies. Ugh. And she'd be like, I am really, really just um, working through bitterness and offense. And I, before the Lord, I've made a vow that I'm going to be blessing you. And I want to bless you. I'm going to bless you with these cookies I made. Wow. <laughs> and I'm there like, don't eat the cookies. <laughs> Lace with arsenic. There's just nothing. Rat poison. There's nothing that's a blessing about that. Like, mm. nothing. Like, that's just not a blessing. Yeah. I mean... And so, you know, I would recommend if that's you and you have bitterness and offense in your heart, just give the person the cookies without a speech. Like, they don't need to know. <laughs> and, you know, and you, if you have, like, this whole, like, weird janky thing you're, like, working through with someone, like, yeah, it's true, it is janky. Relationships are janky. <laughs> Relationships are weird. But, <laughs> but like, 90% of the time, you really, really, really probably don't need to articulate it. I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I've watched it over the years. Usually, if you pray, you forgive, you get your eyes off of them, you release your expectations, you get over yourself and your pride. Like, the whole thing, you're kind of like, eh, no big deal. Sure. I'm good. You know, like almost, but honestly, there's only a point, like I actually will ask people when they're like, should I talk to do, 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 Number one, there's a question of what is the relational equity that's there, meaning like the history, but also what is it there that you're trying to preserve and how does that serve in building that? <laughs> so, I mean, those are very important questions to ask. And so I just want to encourage you this week that where there's maybe been broken relationship, it might be a parent relationship. And, you know, for some of you, as we're talking about these things, there's some of you, just the thought of relationship, it, it gives you anxiety. You're like, Ugh. like, I'm not good at it. Like, it's, it's hard for me. I don't relate well. I just want to encourage you. God does not want you isolated. His intention is not for you to live an isolated life that's disconnected from feeling loved and giving love and receiving and giving healthy, having healthy relationships. So I just want to encourage you with these two points, like really actually do them. 
and try to seek a place of breakthrough in this place of your life of, um, you know, giving and receiving love. Sure. So one of the biggest indictments against the church, I believe, is being people who hear so much truth but do nothing with it. And so these two points may seem a bit cheesy. Um, I don't think they are. I think they're actually powerful um, in the respects that they actually are going to call us to action where we're not just going to hear truth and do nothing with it. We're going to take action and do something with the truth. And so we're going to close with a word of prayer.